Okay. I think we're like All more right. or less chillin'. Okay, are we live? I, we are hella live. More or less um. chillin'. <laughs> Which okay. one is it? Sure. Wait. Can you guys hear me? Yeah. Y- yes. Okay, cool. <laughs> Did you think that we couldn't hear you? No, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. All right, so we're back. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know you. what I said. I'm tired. <laughs> I can't hear anything. We're breaking up. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, man. There's a bit of a lag. All right. So Serena says she wanted to have a conversation about money, which makes me a little bit stressed, but I'll sit here for it and participate um, because everybody's thinking about money right now, especially as the gig economy and the music economy comes back. It's a... a scary, but I guess optimistic time um, for musicians and artists. Um, and Serena felt inspired to talk a little bit about it. So all passion like. Yeah, I mean, I just feel like we're graduated from college and we've made a lot of jokes about like not being able to make money as a musician. <laughs> but oh also God, like so there funny. are a lot of people trying to make money as a musician and somehow making it work. So like it's possible. It's um, definitely possible, but it's just pretty hard. <laughs> to, like, to actually do, to do in a sustainable way where you aren't relying on sources of income that you don't want to do or unrelated to like actually like make your living off of music is pretty difficult. Yeah, well, you're doing it, Justin. Somehow. <laughs> Which is pretty admirable. I'm not. And I mean, Serena, you are? Yeah, well, I'm going to be a student again. So I'm not trying to make a whole living but I'm definitely making enough income to sustain my activities. I mean, teaching is pretty lucrative if you think about it. You can make, depending on where you live, like a pretty good rate per hour. So it's really about how gung-ho you are about getting students and like how much of your schedule you're willing to book up with that. It is pretty exhausting though. I, I also had my first wedding gig like last week. So If you're good about, like our friend Michael, who was on the podcast, like if you're good about finding sources for gigs, like you can be making a really good amount every weekend. It's just exhausting. But you have to be really resourceful about like there's definitely work to be had, but Mm. the hustle is is crazy to actually (laughs) capitalize on all like the work that's out there. Yeah. Um, And also to have that amount of work in a steady way. Yeah, like that's the, the hard, You can make good hard. money. That's not, it, you can play a gig and make good money at it, but it's like all the downtime between gigs and, yeah, and not knowing, you know, especially if it's like a wedding gig or something like that, the advantage of teaching it or something like that is where you have like steady, like consistent mm-hmm. in, income versus if you're truly just trying to be like a gigging musician, like you can't control those factors. Yeah. Well, I mean, before yeah. the pandemic, a lot of people did gigs on weekends, weddings, performances, whatever. And then during the week they teach and like that Mm. seemed to be enough. But now we're not super sure about which gigs are going to be more or less lucrative. And also like a lot of students have either stopped or transitioned to online or like whatever. But maybe if you had a studio full of students and didn't switch to virtual very well, then you could have lost your students to somebody else. Well, I feel like it's just going to be a weird scramble because I'm, I mean, we see it every day, Serena, of like a different flutist that we know that has just quit to go to like law school or go somewhere else um, or or switch careers completely. Um, And so I feel like people don't even know actually who's left Mm. You know, it's just yeah. I, the connections and networks, it's all different. I feel like it's all going to be different. So that I think it gives a lot of opportunities, but 
I still think it's just really unfair um, that this the lack of stability has to exist because I think it really impedes our ability to, um, you know, live in any other way. And yeah, there are plenty of people who get most of their joy from being in music, but that doesn't excuse us from being human and wanting to do other things and like, you know, enjoy time for themselves when most of the musicians that I know are doing something work-related at least seven days a week because there's just, there's so the, there's such scarcity and, and there's just not even enough time in the five-day work week to get all the work done so that they know that they can make rent every month. And I think that that's super shitty. Well, it's also like, I feel like the flexibility comes at an, an ex- at the expense of stability because yeah. you have more control. Like if you're using like freelance websites, you're free to turn certain things down. Yeah. Um, but you just like are then scared that the algorithm is going to smite you or something. Um, and also like when you feel like there's a scarcity of opportunity, whether or not there actually is, then you feel obligated to say yes to everything that comes yeah. your way. But like... I've heard from other people that, like, actually, if you get going on these kinds of websites, then, like, you keep your reviews, you keep your, like, profile. And then if you move somewhere else in the U.S., then it's not as hard as bre- to break into the scene mm. as it would have been. Like, if mm. I wanted to get into the gigging scene in Philly and I had just moved here, it would take a long time to make enough connections with people to, like, be asked to play gigs and all this other stuff. But now you could just have your good ratings and if you wanted to move to like another major city in the US people would still hire you because that like stays which is kind of cool that's very interesting I never thought of it like that yes (laughs) (laughs) no no the internet is crazy (laughs) yeah no what I'm trying to say is just the internet is crazy um, and good and bad it's definitely changed everything and I think that People who embrace that will be more successful long run than people who don't overall. I, you know, people who are already well established or like big and like the in the scene like, can get away with being just very mm. unsavvy with technology. But it's like you know, up and coming people. Like you kind of, I think there's a lot of opportunity with that kind of technology. Um, yeah, like with my students, I mean, I'm really only looking for virtual students now. So like navigating the time difference is a little complicated if I have students asking me from California and Texas, which happens to be most of my students actually. Um, but like yeah, it works and I would have no access to getting those students before because no one was really taking, very few people were taking yeah. online lessons before. And now it's like really normal and parents don't have time to drive their kids places. So if they just sign them up for online lessons, then no issue. And I can be free to go to school in Paris. And as long as the time difference is doable with our schedules, like I don't have to yeah. lose those students you don't have to start just because I'm leaving. You can, you can be anywhere, which is kind of a relief. You aren't really tied to anything anymore if your work is virtual. Yeah, it's nice. I think I didn't really appreciate that until more recently because I didn't think that online lessons could work for a long time. Like I had, I just, there are still things with my students that I wish I could do in person. But like after taking a year of online lessons and realizing that I actually did improve a lot with it, I was like, okay, well, if I can learn, then I can teach. 
with yeah. the online format. You know, I'll tell you, I took a year of online lessons in high school on Skype. On Skype? Back in the day. Oh, really? and, you know, everybody was like, what are you going to do? Like, your teacher's not there. First of all, I was 16. I was fine. I was at a level where my yeah. teacher was just kind of being like, you've played everything correctly. Let's talk about music stuff, you know? And, every, you know, she could hear if I played a wrong note or played a rhythm wrong, you know? Um, but it was great because um, it was, you know, it kind of allowed a lot more flexibility. And I really liked that I could learn a little bit, just a little bit. I mean, this was a long time ago about just, like, how to, like, cater to doing music digitally because that feels like forever ago but it's just funny because there were so many people that were like how are you how does that work and like you yeah. can't do that it's not real and now look everybody's yeah. lessons well the stigma's kind of gone so, now yeah. since everyone had to do it <laughs> yeah. that's like yeah. the band-aid's kind of been ripped off in that regard and people are more open to it because everyone kind of had to at least like dabble in it during the pandemic yeah and you had to like learn how to do it well because if you just stayed the quality that everybody was at the beginning of the pandemic <laughs> mm. in yeah. terms of like how you taught yes. and the technology and the equipment that you use then you're not going to fare as well as the people who really adapted um and it's really cool that you had that experience early on because I was definitely like this couldn't possibly work I don't even <laughs> want to take lessons like yeah um so yeah. it's it is how it is, but I, I do think that there are a lot of benefits to it that at least for me as like a young musician that isn't planning on staying in one place for the foreseeable future. Like I was really scared before that I just wouldn't have any work or like it would take me until I was done with all my degrees or like everything that I wanted to do that involved traveling before I could establish myself. There were also some conditions to it. Like I knew my teacher was coming back. She just had to finish up a year of her DMA. So I definitely wouldn't have just started with the teacher online. But now it's gone to the left enough where I think people are chill with it. But yeah, I mean, it's important. I don't know. I mean, it's hard for me to talk about it because I feel a little pessimistic about it just because so much stuff got destroyed and there's still so much scarcity. But I think especially younger people have to be at least, you know, we have to be scrambling or at least looking for these kind of opportunities or else we'll be forced to do something that we don't like um, or just something else that is less good than music or art, you know? Yeah, and a lot of people are also building their like brand or online presence outside of just playing gigs or teaching. Like, yeah, you can get a lot of gigs, get a lot of students, but like something like this podcast and a lot of people that we've talked to on Clubhouse too, like everyone has their own project and they're maybe not always music. They could be music adjacent, kind of like this, but like it makes a big difference because if you like what someone has to say, you're more likely to check out their stuff. Like think about how many people we talked to on Clubhouse that we thought were interesting and now we follow them on Instagram and like yeah. watch their mm. YouTube videos or whatever. Well, having a strong, like that kind of thing can then translate to getting more work and stuff like that. That's something that like Adam Neely like talked like extensively about. Like the oh, fact yeah, that like now... Yeah. That, like, everyone knows who he is and all. Like, he gets way more work in New York mm. as a gigging bass player. But just mm. because he made YouTube videos and everyone knows who he is, which is kind of crazy. Again, I think we're dealing with it now, but there's always pluses and minuses because, yeah, that's a huge advantage. And I'm sure he wouldn't trade it for the world. But now there are a lot of people out there who have a parasocial relationship with him. Or something close to it, you know, or yeah. know things that they wouldn't know or are going to— or my judging based off the videos instead of just the playing, you know. So you have to give and take, but it's just a balance. 
Yeah, but it's also being becoming more socially acceptable to have this kind of presence. Like, I feel like before, yeah. like, when we were talking on Clubhouse with, like, Gina or Katie, they were saying that, like, oh, people made fun of them for, like, being big on Instagram yeah. or on YouTube. And, like, the negatives were a little bit bigger. But now that everyone wants it or, like, understands why people do it, yeah. there's less of a stigma for sure. Definitely. Yeah, it's definitely more desirable overall as like as far as people's perception of it it's more of a positive than it's ever been probably yeah because it used to be like oh like if you're doing this kind of stuff maybe you're not a real yeah yeah no it definitely was that but it's like now the people that have those presences online are the people that are doing the best you know getting all the gigs and 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 are are the ones actually making money at it yeah and even the people who are super established are pivoting like they're creating Mm -hmm. more of a presence and trying to engage Mm -hmm. with people more on social media because they recognize that it's important and that like you have to expand outside of your bubble because now that's how people are finding out about what concerts are happening where. That's how people are finding out about like what you're doing and and wanting to buy your album or wanting to buy your merch or whatever it is that your project is. Like even if you are super established and everyone knows who you are, you can't reach them if you don't have a presence anymore. Yeah, it's good. I mean, I think we are going to see such a huge shift in how things work as the pieces come together. And hopefully we just don't go back to the way that things were originally because it was super exclusive and not lucrative for most people. So, (laughs) you know, it'd be Um, nice. I mean, the other thing that I thought we should talk about because it's so hush-hush is like negotiating processes and how like Mm. nobody knows how much other people in the same gig is getting paid or like when you are asked to do something like we never like I have so much trouble deciding how much money to ask yeah. for. Well and it's something that like no one like really coaches you through. You've all these like no. music music school does not prepare you for any of that. <laughs> no. The part of you where you actually need to get paid the most that you can get paid. You know, oftentimes there's way more on the table than like we end up getting just mm-hmm. because we sell ourselves short. Um, and because we literally don't know and we're just happy to get paid to do something that yeah. we enjoy doing. But that doesn't mean like that using strategy is wrong. Actually, like you're kind of doing yourself and other musicians a, disa- a disfavor if you sell yourself short because then they're going to try to pay other musicians less yeah, too. Yeah, it, it sets the price. Yeah. And we thought that, like, you know, by asking our mentors about these kinds of things that we would get straight up answers, and we didn't. We got, like, oh, you know, like, you shouldn't really, like, ask your colleagues, like, how much they're making or, you know, just kind of, you know. Like, we never got, like, a straight up, like, this is how much you should get paid for X, Y, Z. Because nobody knows. And, like, a lot of big artists have managers that help them negotiate that kind of stuff. But if you don't, like, it really is about sussing out the situation. Like, the best advice that I've gotten from other people that I've talked to is either try to figure out who else is on this project and how much they're getting paid, especially if they've done done it before. Or just, like, aim higher than you think. Um, And then they'll talk you down, but they won't give you more if you aim too low. Yeah, they're not going to talk you up if you... (laughs) (laughs) No, no, they never will. They'll just be ecstatic that they're getting your services at, like, a cheap price. Yeah, and I <sighs> we're just so unfair to ourselves. Like, like I think with lessons, for example, I set rates that were kind of similar to, like, the teachers that I had growing yeah. up 
um, especially when I was a younger student, because most of my students are younger or like adult amateurs. So I wasn't trying to charge like college professor rates. But for a while, I was like, oh, well, I remember some people did like trial lessons that were like free Mm -hmm. or half price. And I was trying to just roll with that because I thought that was the standard. But like, first of all, I'm paying money to the website that's like helping me find leads. So like, it doesn't really make any sense for me to lose money on a student if they don't come back. So like, I thought about it and I was like, it's a nice sentiment, right? To have a trial lesson, it's like, well, I'm demonstrating like my qualifications that as a teacher, we're seeing if we click and it's no risk. But then for me, it kind of is because I could be losing money off of an hour of work and it didn't make any sense. So I changed that, but it took me like a couple of, weeks to really like figure it out and see what worked and I don't know like nobody really teaches you when you start teaching lessons like you kind of just go off of what you paid like 10 years ago or or like whatever you like think might be a good idea to charge I remember hearing there was this one story about this like flute player who went to New York and was like trying to teach and like she set her prices at like what she thought was like affordable and she was like oh I'll get like all these students and like no one came to her and then she was talking to another musician and um and the guy was like like it's going to sound crazy but you really <laughs> just need to charge more yeah. like people think that if you charge more that you're better yeah <laughs> yeah and like it worked like she started getting way more students cuz she was charging way more but it's like it's so <laughs> counterintuitive you think oh I'm giving these people a deal like oh I'll get yeah. more but it, you, it doesn't work that way yeah, no. that's what happened with like buffets in Las Vegas, actually. It's crazy. Yeah. They like buffets used to be so cheap in Vegas and like it was the attraction, the main attraction. But then you, they realized that like the bougier buffets always had the most people because they think that they were getting like a better quality meal when they were all pretty much the same so they all rose their prices because like people just thought the more expensive one was somehow better (laughs) yeah and i think that especially if you're working um or getting hired by people who are financially privileged like hike up the price (laughs) because those people they don't you know, they're, they're, first of all, if they're hiring you as a musician, likelihood is that they can afford a lot of other things. Um, and you know, yeah, I mean the theater companies and the smaller orchestras and stuff, yeah, they struggle, but they're going to struggle more if they don't have musicians. So they better be paying their musicians a living wage. Yeah. And it's really about reading the situation, right? Like, I think that if I were set in like a a suburban town or even in a city, but I'm like planning on staying there and I'm settled and I know that my students are always coming back, then it's like, yeah, I don't think it hurts to have a free trial lesson and get to know a student. And if they're not a good match, they're not a good match and no harm done. But like in a situation like this, where like there is harm done if the student doesn't come back because I didn't charge money and I paid $10 or whatever to the service to get them, then it doesn't make sense anymore. Um, and also like, same thing with like what we were talking about with, um, organizations that hire you. It's like Mm -hmm. some organizations have a lot of corporate funding or just like a lot of money and they can afford to pay you more. So you're doing a disservice to yourself and other people by not asking for what's on the table, like Justin said. Yeah. Um, But there are times where like your friends ask you for a project or like a small organization for a good cause that doesn't have a lot of money asks you. And if you find the project in itself worthwhile, then you can give them a special deal and maybe like let them know or let somebody else know that this is a special deal because it's a good cause. Well, it's like you have to know why you're doing something, right? It's like you're either doing 
something for the money. Um, but if you're doing something because you want to do it or because the visibility or whatever it's going to do is, you know, worth more than whatever they would pay. Like, there are other reasons to take something. But, like, if it's not checking off the other boxes for you and you're getting nothing out of it, then it's like, it would, you should probably be getting paid. Yeah, like when you tried to charge $600 which isn't even like cra- yeah, I, I've talked to other people for, like, for a yeah. wedding gig that's in place of a whole that's not crazy mm-hmm. um, no. that's, that's probably more in line but. but it's like really awesome that you just said that like hey I have better things to do Yeah. so you're either gonna pay me exactly what I'm worth or and, I'm not gonna yeah. take it and to be fair I'm in a like a lucky position where now that like a saxophone is like not the main thing that I'm doing for income like I have the luxury of like I don't need that gig exactly you know? yeah. and so therefore like there's no harm done if, like, I ask to, and they're like, oh, we can't afford it. It's like, cool. Like, I'm not going to do it then. But, yeah. It really depends on the position that you're in. And I think it takes a while because if you're relying on that income, then you can't just say $600 or bust. Um, <laughs> and, like, I took a wedding gig that was way less than that, but I was happy with the amount that I made. Yeah. So it's yeah. really, that part's up to you. But I do think that, like, the biggest um, rule in freelancing in general, like I heard this, I think from like a graphic designer or something is like, you pick a rate and every time you get busy, you double it. And if people are willing to pay you double during that busy time, then you keep it double. And then if you get busy again with your rates doubled, then you just double it again, which is kind of crazy to think about, but But it's that's how That's how you do it. I think also it's like, we think that like, because as musicians, we get, we can get paid like pretty well for the performance, but it's like oftentimes there's so much lead up to the, and there's so much like practicing and things that have to go into that performance that although you're getting paid like in lump sum and you're like, oh, it's just for this performance. Yeah. The amount of work that is actually behind that, like you're not coming out that far ahead. Exactly. It's not that crazy. It's not that lucrative. Yeah. So creative baggage tip one, highball all your (laughs) No, you also have to figure out the situation because if you can't afford to lose the gig then you kind of have to try to find something in the middle but like but you can still start high yeah you can start definitely start higher than you think always but like don't do the crazy double it unless you know for sure that you are okay with not getting it and you can incrementally like increase your rates over time and the crazy and that's the normal thing to do no one even knows like no (laughs) one knows like, that's the interesting thing about, like, what we do in freelance is just, that, like, no one knows what you're charging anyone else. Mm-hmm. You no. don't have to charge people the same amount. You know, if you really don't want to do something, that's, like, my, like, go-to <laughs> is, like, just ask for way, what I think is way too much money if I, like, really yeah. don't like it. And it's, like, worst-case scenario is they say yes and I make way too much money for that gig or whatever, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Because um, a lot of musicians also have a hard time saying no to things, but it's, like— I think yeah, it's, I have it's, a hard it's usually time a, if no it's like, oh, I don't want to do this. It's just like ask for something you think is like unreasonably like priced. Yeah, you know, it's hard. But I think the way that I've been able to get like comfortable with it is actually with dog walking because I just don't care. Um, like my daily services are like reasonably priced. Um, they're a little pricey, but reasonably priced. And then when I get like an extra special like weekend sit or something like that, like people were just paying me. I didn't even know how much to charge people. And I had someone, I babysat their dog for three hours and they gave me a hundred dollars. And I was like, 
Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'll take that. You know, I'll take a good 35 bucks an hour or whatever. Um, and now that's just my rate. And, you know, I've been saying no to so many people now because I, I can have, I can afford to have my weekends off. If once a month I work one weekend, make yeah. like $300, yeah. Yeah. then I can do the rest of my week walking dogs kind of cheap, but I like it. And like it. long-term, that's how yeah. like you can end up working less doing freelance exactly. than if you worked a nine to five. It's like, oh, if you keep, if you get to a place where you have enough work and you can like increase your rates to, you have the option of either working the same amount and making more money or working less and making the same amount of money. Yeah, you know, exactly. it's like, um, which is like a cool thing, place to get to because all of a sudden yes. you don't have to work nine to five every day all the time. You can work way less and do other things in that time. And I think that's the eventual benefit to freelancing. Yeah. Mm -hmm. The incremental, I think, works really well, too. Especially if you're scared to, like, double your rates. at Even, like, in yeah. a higher, like, a high-stress period or, like, a period of abundance. Like, just raising your rates by, like, $10. I mean, this happened to me in high school a lot. Like, my high or my first flute teacher started off charging, like, 60 an hour and then she had a lot of students so she just sent everyone a notice like hey I'm just increasing my rates by ten dollars um mm. an hour because I am a more experienced teacher now and no one's really going to be like upset about that especially no. if especially if it's like a slight increase it's like oh like yeah it's done, at that point like percent like it's not that much more you're already yeah. spending yeah. enough there's like oh ten dollars more isn't that yeah crazy? and if you like wouldn't want to lose this person as a teacher. You're just going to pay it, yeah. you know? And, like, mm -hmm. for special circumstances, you always just ask. Like, that's the other thing, too, is if you, like, need a service from someone and you can't afford it, like, especially with, like, artistic and creative people, like, if you have a good reason for, let's say, wanting to take a lesson and you say, I really, really can't afford this or I want to see this concert, I want to be part of this project and I really can't afford it, chances are someone's going to try to help you make it work, whether it, yeah, it's like definitely. helping you look for resources to pay yeah. for it or like giving you a special exception. Like, I think it's always better to have a rule of thumb that's like a little higher or like really comfortable for you, but then making exceptions for certain people who really can't afford it. I mean, eventually I would love, like I think everybody would love to be able to charge high for most things and then be able to give some other stuff away for free that people yeah. needed, you know? Yeah, because like it depends, right? If you're struggling to make it and somebody asks you to like teach them for a lower rate or asks yeah. you to be part of a project, but you need that time to make money elsewhere, then you have to say no. So like, actually, if you do yourself a favor and charge more for the things that can be worth more, then you also free yourself up to be part of a good cause or like help someone out who can't genuinely can't afford it. Yeah. But I feel like just having like very honest conversations about money in like a lot of aspects of our industry we like, just like, don't like, do like, it. Like people, people don't know people what each other yeah. People are, are usually pretty understanding. Like, but like I've had friends recently where like someone will like hit them up about a gig and then they'll be like, oh, like, cool. Like, this is how much like I typically charge for some weight. And then they just get ghosted or whatever. And it's like, mm. it would be different if like they replied from that, like the person who hit them up, like replied and was like, like, oh, like I really don't have a lot of, you know. Yeah. But like, it's kind of crazy just to just, you just disappear. Like, that's rude. awful. Um, and I don't think anyone means any ill will on anyone else, but it's just how that comes across that, like, I feel like people should just, like, yeah. <laughs> treat each other better in that regard. And we're all so secretive. Like, it's so hard to find out what some, what other people are making from teaching or from taking a yeah. gig or whatever yeah. because everybody is hush-hush. But that makes <laughs> it 
that much harder for everybody to negotiate a fair price. Yeah, it's yeah. ridiculous. Like, uh, there are not many other industries that are like this, but we have this like, oh, we're artists. We must not talk about money because we're doing this because we love it and we could, you know, live in a cardboard <laughs> shack and be happy. <laughs> and it's so stupid. Like, yeah. we, in any other field, you know, there's glass door and you can look up how much your coworkers get paid. I mean, you can do that for if you work at McDonald's. How come, and there are some coalitions that are starting to put these things together, but it's like, we should know yes. how much gig musicians in our area are getting paid so that we don't get duped. Because I feel like, especially us, like young, fresh out of college, we don't you know, know. We just say yes we don't to know. anything. Like, like, yeah, people, definitely bucks, do get, people definitely do get paid like wildly different amounts. And, yeah. And, and things like, you know, like even like symphony orchestras and stuff like that. And, it's just because, and like, at the least process, they have unions. We, yeah. Like, if yeah, you're not don't. part of a big organization yeah. like that, you don't even have a semblance of no. organization. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know why we don't do it. Because once, like, you're popped into an industry that people don't talk about money or talk about how much they get paid, like, it's kind of taboo and you're the weird one if you start, like, telling everybody else what you get paid or asking other people what they get paid. Yeah. Like, it feels yeah. almost rude, even yeah. though, like we kind of should just be open about it. Like, think about, like, construction, right? You hire a contractor. It's literally a contract. They do your house, and their gig, like, their, I mean, their stuff is more regular, right? Because we're always needing new buildings. But, like, you never, like, are whispering to contractor to contractor how much they got paid to build the house. Like, it's just, you know how much you... They yeah. charge you. They literally say, okay, uh, labor plus materials. Here's your price. And nobody's ever, like, negotiating down. You know yeah. what I'm saying? Unless they can get the materials for cheaper. Yeah. Um. So it's just it's just annoying. And I think, think that... Freelance. Well, the yeah. thing is, it's just that we all should be talking about it more. Because the more that we share how much we make, the better. The other thing, too, is actually... And I know that Elizabeth Rowe talked about this in her Facebook group. And I've... Mm seen other people do this where you do write out a contract for either a gig or for lessons and you lay out how it works and then you can set safeguards for yourself like hey mm -hmm. if you promise that you were going to show up for this lesson and you don't then you still have to pay me half the lesson fee or even the full lesson fee depending on how yeah. harsh you want to be or like yeah. for a gig it's like if you hire me for this time frame and you run late then I'm going to charge an extra whatever amount for every half hour delay that it is so that if I book myself for the day, like it doesn't end up being twice as long as I expected while getting paid the same amount, even yeah. though I'm not like if it's a delay, like I'm not playing during the delay, but also like it's not my fault that yeah. you didn't pick the right time or that things went wrong. Like, yeah, yeah. I mean, like with dog walking five days, if you cancel five days before it's free, but then if it's less than five days, you have to pay 50%. And if you cancel within, you know, 24 hours of the walk, then I'm getting paid. And, like, it should be like that for freelancing, too. You yeah. know, obviously everybody can have a different way of framing it, but it's ridiculous. But that's why, like, being savvy is kind of the only way to go now. Mm. Because you, if, like, and this is usually you learn by doing, right? Like, you kind of get screwed over a yes. few times and then yes. you're like, oh, wait a second. Um, but coming up with your own method for safeguarding your time and your energy like is super super important whether you're doing everything online or like negotiating with people word of mouth it's Definitely. hard though especially with like word of mouth or like if a friend or a friend of a friend mm. asks you to do something it's like oh well I know this person like um or like I am friends with this person or I have a relationship with this person outside of music mm -hmm. like it gets 
a little bit more complicated to yes. say no. It gets more complicated to ask for more, too. Courage is the first step. <laughs> We're all just trying to make it work. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. It's exhausting. Yeah. I mean, the thing, too, is, like, I don't think that establishing yourself right away makes as much of a difference as ex- establishing yourself in the right way. So like Bailey, mm. you were talking about how like you felt weird that you were taking time off, but also like you are learning all these things about how to negotiate through dog yeah. walking so no. that when you pivot to flute playing, it's the same deal. Yeah, I'm uh, not taking any shit <laughs> yeah. when I get back. But I think the that oftentimes, <laughs> like that's like our whole mindset though is like, oh, we're doing something else, like it's unrelated to this other thing. But like, I feel like you don't lose just the, like you don't lose any of the things from flute playing, and then it's like when you pivot back or whatever, you still keep all of like the skills you got that translate from like dog walking or, or those things. Yeah, definitely. And so it's like. It's not like anything's a waste of time, you know. It's no, like it's, it's definitely just like, it's not. It's just that you get different skills and experiences, and those things do kind of like translate um, into a bigger picture. That kind of, yeah. especially as yeah. like a freelancer and someone who has to like self promote and like. Yeah. Exactly. I think f- three years ago, two years ago, even I would have thought that this was like the worst thing that could ever happen, to me. <laughs> uh, and probably would have felt like shit if I knew what I was doing now. But now it's like I'm making money and I'm having a hell of a lot of fun. And when I'm ready to go back to flute. Uh, it's gonna be y'all ain't ready because like, <laughs> I'm, I'm gonna be mentally yeah, there yeah. and like yeah, yeah I learned some shit that you wouldn't learn otherwise. So and you've positioned yourself in a way that like it wouldn't have to be a hard pivot. Like you no. <laughs> are doing something that's also freelance adjacent. So you just get to choose out of the two options. Like if you have a flute thing and a dog thing, you can pick which one pays more, which one you want to do more. Yeah. And then slowly change the ratio yeah. up depending on yeah. how much you want to do which one. Yeah, and the hours are um, great because they're compatible. Like it's yeah. not often that you're walking a dog during the time when you go to a concert because people are home eating dinner or things like that. It's like, and I think that now, like, it, it used to be that, like, how people, like, the whole workplace in America was, like, you got a job, you work that job for, like, 30 years or whatever, and then you die. <laughs> <laughs> or retired or whatever, but... Uh, <laughs> but mostly die. <laughs> but, like, it was yes. this idea that you had to do one thing, and that was the thing that you did, and that was all your time. But it's, like, now it's, like, most people don't, our age, don't yeah. really do that. Multiple you know? it's like, streams of income. You can do multiple things. Like, I think about... um like, my fencing coach for many years, like, he was, like, an engineer by trade. He worked at Raytheon, and then he worked at, like, um, like for, like, the um, for the government making shit. But, um, <laughs> but then he started, like, a fencing club because he got really into that. Um, he was on, like, forums and was making, like, custom, like, electronics for people. Um, uh, he wrote a book with his wife about, like, art to me. Like, he had so many different things going on. And then it was, like, oh, if one of those things went poorly... Or like, oh, like one of those things fell apart. He still was fine. He was like, oh, just devote more time to these other things. We don't talk about that enough because we talk so much about like if one thing, like you have multiple streams of income, but then if one thing isn't lucrative, you just drop it. But actually the lucrative things can help you fuel the non-lucrative things until they become lucrative. Or if you just don't care and you want to do the thing, then it doesn't matter. Like this podcast, we're gonna be honest like we don't make a lot from this podcast at no. all um not enough to like buy lunch every week even <laughs> no but we have other things going on that feed into what we can talk about and do for this podcast and 
we're buying ourselves the time to make this podcast into what we want instead of having to at some point make a really hard decision of like dropping it completely or trying to like really go out and get sponsorships or do something that like is just for the money and not for what we think the overall good of the podcast is. Because money definitely doesn't, uh, money definitely does have influence on art, you know? And I think that's Mm. the thing that we look over when we're, when we like romanticize the idea of uh, relying on money and like that being our main thing for like getting all of our money from like gigging or whatever. It's like, Mm -hmm. That's cool, but it's like then you are putting hard uh, like decisions where it's like, okay, do I take this thing that I just know is going to pay more? Do I do this thing that I know people are going to like more, mm-hmm. even though it's not like what I want to do artistically? And then those things can be at odds with each other. Whereas at least like if you're just doing music at night and you have a day job or something, it's like you can do whatever you want with your art. Mm-hmm. Exactly. That's how I've been feeling lately because I don't want… I think things would be different if I enjoyed teaching music, like, in a public school setting. Because then I would just do it and it'd be great. But, like, I don't. Uh, in fact, it's a traumatizing environment for me. <laughs> uh, emotionally. So, yeah. like, I would much rather hang out with dogs all day. Um, and then when I get home and when I have my weekends off, I can, you know, play the gig that pays little to nothing. Like, you know, our our friend and, and former guest, Evan Kassoff, has an ensemble that plays in Philly a lot. Um, and those, those, those gigs don't pay a lot. They don't pay very much at all. But I'd rather be able to take that gig um, because I have a job than have to turn that gig down because I'm playing, you know, 15 weddings and three brat mitzvahs or something. You know what I mean? <laughs> you know what I mean? Because that's yeah. not really something that inspires me. Like, yeah, yeah, weddings are cool and I would love to do, you know, s- some of that. But I I don't want to have to sacrifice those, like, really awesome performances that I want to do because I have to spend my whole weekend, you know, doing stuff that doesn't really inspire me at all. Yeah, or like even the freelancing stuff that I'm doing now, like it's for me in my eyes more of an investment so that I can be able to continue to study music for the next two years and support myself to a certain extent so that after that, first of all, I can like keep the freelance thing going because once you have momentum, it's easier to keep moving forward, but also I can build on that, right? Like once I have my degree and I have studied music for two more years and worked hard on improving, then like I have even more power to create my own projects and invest in the things that I want to do. So it's really like you can kind of source the way that you feel your passion projects in any way that you want, but like that's ultimately what it is until you're doing whatever your peak dream job form is. And that peak dream job form could even be just like various side projects molded together, right? If you guys liked this or had anything to contribute, have tips about money, um, you know, we're pretty young and like not experienced in this <laughs> at all. Um, we would love to hear from you. So you can always write in to us at creativebaggagepodcast at gmail.com. Send us a DM on Instagram. Um, if you know us personally, reach out, whatever. Um, but we would love to hear from you and connect on you guys more on this topic. So yeah. Yeah, we want to open up that dialogue for sure because it's always hush-hush and we don't want it to be that way anymore. Yeah, Send us an, an email with your last six invoices for your last six gigs. <laughs> 
Social security number. Uh, yeah, credit card uh, last number. bank statement. Yeah. Um. <laughs> or just send us some money. Yeah. <laughs> <Cool>. <laughs> yeah, but we appreciate you guys. And uh, thanks for bearing with us as we uh, navigate the new directions of this podcast. We have some really awesome stuff on the horizon. Um, but we're very busy. So thank you very much. Goodbye.